0: From the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes.
1: They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart, my heart had stopped, and I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I
0: was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine, absolute love and peace. There wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted
1: by people i had known in the past.
0: I'm back home again
1: incredibly safe and felt at home.
0: Welcome to Round Trip Death everybody and welcome to our guest. We're so happy to have today Andrea Curry from a little place up in Quebec, Canada. Will you tell us about where you live? It looks so beautiful from the little bit that I can see here.
1: Oh thanks Eric. Hi everybody. Yes I'm in Montreal, which is an island, and I'm on um, the western tip of the island in a little, little house. It's a little 400-square-foot house heated by the wood stove you see in the back. So it still hasn't been put into action yet because um, the weather hasn't been cooled enough, but soon it will. And uh, it's a beautiful little spot. It's uh, my sound healing studio.
0: We almost fired our wood stove up last night.
1: Ah! Oh. We came
0: that close. We're going to try to wait till at least the 1st of October. But I love the heat and the smell and the everything from it.
1: And also, you know, um, it's good to have a secondary heat source like that. You never know when the power goes out. And I have used this wood stove to cook, uh, not only to heat, but to cook as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is great. Tell us a little bit more about you. What What do you do? What makes your day great?
1: Well, I actually, I am actually a retired entrepreneur and I fell into that by, uh, necessity. In fact, at the age of 37, I found myself alone with three children and no child support and no job. My grandmother, who had passed uh, a few years before that, came to me one day and said, go take this picture. She was very specific. She said, go into the library, get that picture, go make a logo. We're going into business. And I was like, what? And when your dead grandmother tells you we're going into business, you don't say no. So I did it, believe it or not. And I was very tight for cash. And I took precious $250, made a logo. And then I said, okay, Grandma, what are we doing? And she said, we're going to make granola because my grandmother had this recipe. My mother made it, and I always made it and gave it to my kids. So I'm walking around thinking, okay, we're going to make granola. So that means I'm actually going to try and make a living like selling oats. And what are we going to call this company? And so I'm thinking of all these names, and then I hear her again, "Clara's day. No, dummy, we're going to call it Grandma Emily's Granola, and that's what I did.
0: Ah, That's her name, Emily. That is so sweet. Yeah, yeah. Do you still make granola?
1: I actually do, but I sold the company in 2015. I actually bootstrapped the company, which is a really hard way to build a business. No bank would give me any credit, so I had to uh, work really hard, turn over my stock and save, 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 and I built the business, and eventually I was selling coast to coast. And I sold the business in 2015.
0: Well, congratulations. Thank you. Now you're on EC Street. You're just rolling in the
1: dough. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm very careful. And I'm actually a sound meditation facilitator. And that I owe to my daughter, Chloe. Because my daughter, Chloe, passed in 2016. And this little room is what I rented when she passed because I took care of her for the last year of her life. And I just couldn't stay in the same house. I needed a break. So I figured I'll come here, I'll stay a month. And I stayed a year and a half. And about five weeks after I got here, I was writing her a letter. And I said, Chloe, you would love this place. It's perfect. It's small, it's simple. It's an economy of everything. There's two glasses, two dishes, two plates. There's, there's just, uh, there's beauty when you look out the window. I'm about 20 feet from the water's edge. There's birds and beavers and there's, believe it or not, raccoons. And I got up to burn the letter in that little wood stove and she spoke to me. And she said, mom, don't burn that letter. And then, you know, what she said, she said, mom, and it was exactly in her voice, like perfectly Chloe's tone, you know, sassy and a pain in the neck. And she said, Mom, you're so easy to find. It's a joke.
0: What does that mean?
1: Exactly. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're light, Mom. She said, when you pray, we actually see your light. Isn't that cool?
0: That is really cool. Can you explain how you heard her? Was this an audible voice? Was this in your head? How did it come?
1: It was in my head. It was audible, but it was completely clear. Like, I could hear everything she said perfectly. And what I realized at that point, you know when you look back on your life and you connect the dots and you realize all really is as it should be, and you see all the ways that your life prepared you for what was going to come next. And I was prepared, actually, to hear Chloe's voice.
0: What, um, if you don't mind my asking... What happened? You said you took care of her for the last year of her life. Was she very sick?
1: She was sick. But look how life, look how the universe is so amazing. It's 2015 and I sell my business and I worked hard, I supported three kids, paid for everything. It was, but I loved it because it was this product that I loved to make. And in 2015, I sold the company I put a knapsack on my back, and I went to Italy. I figured, like, finally, I'm going to be a kid and have fun. And I was gone one month, and then Chloe got sick, and I came back. So I took care of her for the last year of her life, and she had cancer. And at one point, she's like, Mom, I don't want to do chemo. I don't want to do any more anything. And I said, fine. We'll just try to enjoy. You know, one thing I learned about people who are really ill— is they want to have a normal day. Imagine. I used to ask her, what would you really like to do? I know we're digressing here.
0: Well, just for everybody listening, we'll get into the near-death experience in a minute. Don't worry. Don't worry. But I want to hear about Chloe too.
1: Well, you know, even that, like the near-death experience brought me all these gifts so that I could hear spirits so clear. But I didn't even know at the beginning what was happening. But just to finish with that, She said, Mom, I want a normal day. I want to have a normal day. And I said, okay, what's a normal day? She was 28 when she passed, so she's like 27 at this point. She says, I want to go to the mall, imagine. And that's what we did. Would you like to hear about the near-death experience now?
0: Are you done with Chloe?
1: Well, I'm never done with Chloe. Ever, ever, ever. Oh, no. So the
0: normal day was going to the mall.
1: The normal day was going to the mall, but getting her there like was not easy, you know, with the get a wheelchair and get her out into the wheelchair and then park the car and go back and get her at the door. And anyhow, we went to the mall and, you know, she bought a scarf. And it was funny because there we are in the mall and people are looking at us, you know, and you can tell she's really not well. And I didn't care. I just wanted Chloe to have a normal day.
0: Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. That's a neat memory. Sometimes something that could be so, I don't know, simple and common as that can be such a neat thing.
1: I'll tell you one more thing before I get into that, because this memory is absolutely really beautiful too. It was two days before she passed, and she had been in palliative care already about three weeks. And that morning to go into the hospital, I needed retail therapy. It's like I just couldn't go and just sit there again all day. I needed to go. Myself to the mall, actually. <laughs> That's what I did. And I went to the store and I bought a sweater. And when I got to the hospital, because Chloe and I used to exchange clothes all the time, right? 28, she's the same size as me. And at this point, she was not really moving anymore. And she was lying in her bed and her head was straight. And I came in the room and she turned her head and she looked at me and she gave me the biggest smile. And I heard in my head... Good one, mom. You're going to be okay. Okay. Because it's like in some respect, I was taking care of myself. I was doing something nice for myself.
0: We had a guest on this show a while ago, Nurse Hadley. Okay. And um, she is a hospice nurse, only 30 years old, which is very young for that. And we heard the neatest stories about people in their last hours before passing on and how many of them see and talk to spirits, um, especially loved ones that have already, that are deceased. Did she have any experience like that? Do you know?
1: Well, what I I can tell you is that I, on the last night of her life, I said to the nurse, I think this is the last night. And the nurse said, no, 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 no. You know, she gave me a booklet and said, well, you have to see all these signs first. I went home. I came back at midnight because I just knew. And sure enough, Chloe was trying to get out of her body. There's this breathing they do, which I had never experienced. It's quite traumatic to see it, especially from somebody who's been not moving for like two days. And then all of a sudden she's sitting up straight and doing this heavy, heavy breathing. And I heard her in my head say, Mom, please leave the room. Mm. I said, okay. So I went and I fell asleep in a chair in the hospital And about two hours later, I was woken up, and it was like a tsunami of joy. I was hit in the chest, pow, and it was like, ah, I woke up, and I knew it was done. And then I went back into her room, and she said, and I was really calm, you know, I was really calm, and she said, Mom, thank you so much for listening to me, and thank you so much for being calm. That's
0: great. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems to happen a lot. That's one thing that Hadley was talking about is some people want their closest loved one to be right at their side when they pass and others don't. And so they might say, hey, would you go into the kitchen and get me a drink or something? And then they'll go while that person is just out of the room or something like that. And I don't know why why that is, but some many people are that way.
1: You know, the near-death experience completely prepared me because I was not at all afraid of death. And this was actually like, okay, the rubber meets the road here. It's not just talk. You have to now live this and embody this. And I was able to do that because I had been to the other side. So, uh, I mean, how to explain how incredible it was, how awful and gut wrenching but at the same time it's like "Cole you're going home." Woo. You know,
0: you're happy for them. Oh, yeah. A little sad for yourself cuz you're going to miss them. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Your near death experience now. Yeah. And I know this was quite a few years ago and 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 I've just heard the very very short readers digest version so far. But um, we've had some other people on the show that have been a pedestrian hit by cars. And it is a crazy thing when that happens. Tell us what happened to you.
1: That's right. And it was uh, a winter night, huge snowstorm, December 1991. So yeah, 32 years ago. I was 31 years old. And I woke up that morning and I had a vision. And this is really what... Prepared me for the accident because I saw the whole accident in that vision. I saw the make of the car, the color. I even heard my husband scream as the car hit us. And I remembered the vision so well because how do you get hit by a car when you're walking on a sidewalk? The whole thing just didn't compute. And then I forgot about this whole vision because that day in particular was the day of my grandmother Emily's funeral. So She was involved. She had her hand in this thing from the very beginning, actually, because we had to go to something that evening. We came out of this house, and exactly at 10 past 10 that night, we're walking on the sidewalk. I don't see it because this car is behind us. Car loses control, and we get hit. And my husband goes over the windshield and into a snowbank, and I get hit and and thrown into the road about 35 feet down the road. No other car hits me. And then I come out of my body, and I'm looking. And I remember so well, because this evening, there were a lot of people at this evening, and everybody was dressed, and it was a big snowstorm, and they were all piling out of the house, freaking out over our accident, and nobody was wearing a coat. And I was trying to tell them, go get your coats. Nobody could hear me. And chaos, chaos ensued, complete chaos on the road. And then I just lifted up and i looked down and i saw this figure in the middle of the road and i recognized the coat but you know what all my feelings my thoughts my emotions everything was with me so i didn't feel that i wasn't me i was just me looking down at this lump and then i moved away and moved away and was encircled in this magnificent light and that's a big reason by the way why i do sound because i want to give people The experience of being enveloped in that light of love without having to have like a near death experience. So off I went. There was no life review or anything like that. What it was for me was a figure that approached me, a very tall figure, and I never saw their face. And it was a male kind of voice. And I was in total peace. And he said, Andrea, And that's the part that freaked me out. He knew my name. Like, ah, how do you know my name? You know, we think we're so small. Like, how can I be worthy enough that you know my name? And he said, do you want to stay or do you want to go? And then right away, my answer was clear. I had three babies. Imagine my youngest was one. I had a one, a three, and a five-year-old. So I said, I have to go back. Then he asked me again. And I said, you know, Even if every bone is broken, I have to go back for my three kids. And I was thrown into this vortex, is all I can describe it as. And I remember that I had hands and feet. This is, to me, it was crazy because I had to hang on to the walls of this thing because it was spinning so fast that if I didn't really hang on, it was going to throw me out of nowhere. And it spun and spun and spun and spun and spun me. And then I just slammed back into my body. And I woke up and I was crying and everything hurt. I did not break one
0: bone. All right. Fill in some more of the detail of this.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The coolest part, though, is really what came after. Because somehow, I didn't know this at the time. I didn't know anything about this. There's the thing called walk-ins. I didn't know this. All I know was something in me was different. And my grandmother, who had just passed, had these really, really awful table manners because she lived alone for many years. And all of a sudden, I was doing all these things that she would do. I was making all these big burps like she would make and I was eating like the way she ate. Sorry, Grandma, but it's true. (laughs) And it was like, so not me, you know? And then... She started talking to me. And she said, Andrea, then I'll go get my books. And I'm like, what books are you talking about? And she said, well, they're the whole series of my books. They're called The Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East. And I found out they were in my aunt's basement. So I went and I got the books. I tried to read the books. Forget it. I couldn't understand a thing. And then she said, uh, I'm going to teach you about patience and non-judgment and about true power and about love and everything. My grandmother was the most amazing teacher. As they were loading us into, these, into this ambulance, both my husband and I were loaded in with the straps and the whole deal. I knew my marriage was over. And I know this is sometimes I say this, and people say, like, "What?" But why did I have to get this knocked out of me?" You know, for me to finally say I am not going to live in a loveless marriage. But to me, marriage was till death to his partner. I was committed. And then I realized, you know, Andrea, you did die. Okay, this marriage is over. So along comes the bill for my divorce, okay? And my bill for my part of the divorce is $1,100. I know, divorce was like very amicable, no contest, $1,100. dollars Two days later, my mother comes to me, says, you know, we've completely resolved your grandmother's estate and everything's paid and everything's done. And for whatever reason, there's a little, little amount left and I think you should have it. And she gives me a check and it's for like $1,106. My grandmother paid for my divorce, And it goes on and on. And she's the one who said, you go make a logo, and we're going into business. And we do.
0: Wow. I want to meet her someday. Yeah. She sounds awesome and strong and...
1: She is. And yeah, and she told me, she said, I always wanted to be in business. I said, well, now you are.
0: I just don't want to have dinner with her. That's all. (laughs) You're right. Okay. Please fill in more about this, Andy. You're hit by a car. You're thrown. You're in the middle of the street. Yes. You said, I forget your exact words, how you were lifted up.
1: I was lifted up. I was about nine feet.
0: Okay. What did this what did this feel like? What are you thinking, feeling as this is happening?
1: No pain. Zero pain. You feel like you're floating. And you know what you feel like? You feel like a witness. You're totally a bystander. You're like a witness. To all of this drama going on around me, I was completely detached from it. I had no emotional attachment to the body on the ground, to the chaos of everybody around. It's like I was witnessing a play. I was witnessing a play. That was it.
0: Okay. And then what happened?
1: And it was, it was just as I said, I just moved away from the scene. It's like the scene got smaller and smaller and smaller And this light and love just came around me, totally enveloping me. And because I had had that vision, I wasn't afraid from the accident. I wasn't afraid being hit. Because as I was flying through the air, I'm like, oh, shit, this is exactly the vision. And my husband screamed exactly the words I had heard him scream in that vision that morning. So I knew that I was being prepared. So I totally gave into it. I was completely, I was fine with it, whatever was going to be, except that when he said, do you want to stay or do you want to go? There was no way I was going to leave my children.
0: How can you explain that love to people that maybe haven't felt it? How would you describe it?
1: You know what? Having a child in spirit has helped me understand that kind of love even more. It is so enduring. It is timeless. It is, it is beyond the human experience. It's way beyond the mundane. It's totally sublime. You are linked and joined forever. It was not easy. It was not easy. My one-year-old, I could not hold him. I could not really walk up and down steps or do anything for about a year. I was in, uh, my body was so banged up. So I used to put him in a bundle buggy, which is like this knapsack thing that you wear on the front, because I couldn't carry him. And when I recovered enough to get him out of that bundle buggy and put him in a stroller, no way, he wouldn't go in the stroller. He wanted to stay snuggled up close to me. And you know what? He is 33 today, and he still loves to snuggle up close. So I... You know, I wonder, I think, gee, the fact that I never put him really in that stroller after he was a year old and just had him, I used to have him on me all the time. I mean, if I was cooking or whatever I was doing, he was with me. And it created this incredible snuggly child, which is really fun. You know, when you have your six foot son sit on your lap and snuggle you like, it's great. It's great. So how to describe that love?
0: Well, I I think in many ways you just did. I don't think you realized it.
1: I don't know. I just was back there living that.
0: So snuggly is a new adjective I'm going to put down by that. <laughs> but no, go ahead and explain, explain more. Try to. If someone had never felt this, how would you explain it to them?
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing. When Chloe got sick, I didn't want anybody else to take care of her. There was no question. I was going to take care of her 24-7. It was like everything else stopped. I went into the land of the dying. There's, there are two lands. There's the land of the living and there's the land of the dying. And I went into the land of the dying with Chloe. And I refused every invitation. I didn't want to go anywhere, see anybody. I didn't want to do anything social. And then my son, Daniel, was away at school. And he's like, Mom, I can't study geology when you're home with Chloe. Do you want me to come back? I said, No, I don't want you to come back. You stay there and do your thing. He said, forget it. I'm coming. And he came home. And when he came home, I realized how exhausted I really was. And I would go off in the daytime and I would go on this lovely little bike path and I would run on this path and I would cry my eyes out the whole time I was on this path. I would bawl my eyes out, out loud. I didn't care who saw me, who didn't see me. And then I'd come back home and I'd feel great. And I'd be ready to take on the day and, and give Chloe you know, my 100%. It's really something to love like that. It's a great gift. It's a great gift.
0: Let's fast forward a little bit because I know another profound thing is the conversations that you had with Chloe after she was gone. Uh, and you mentioned the one. Was that the beginning of this? Or did this five-month conversation thing start later?
1: Well, I'll tell you, the beginning of it happened a few years before she passed. And I, as you know, I was running this business, and I was going crazy trying to raise these three kids and pay for everything. And one day, I was, as I was leaving my apartment, I heard, Andrea, stay home. Just get a piece of paper, get a pen, and sit down. And I, I mean, I never missed a day at work. And I could not ignore this voice. And this went on for about two years. And I did all kinds of beautiful automatic writing. And in about 2012, it stopped. And I thought, what did I do wrong? I didn't publish them. I didn't talk about them. I didn't tell enough people. What did I do wrong? And then I was told, no, Andrea, you didn't do anything wrong. We are just preparing you. And you've got that now. You've learned it. You have that skill. You don't need it You don't need to have that anymore. You don't need to do those sessions anymore. And I'm like, yeah, but I know those sessions. But no, it was like that was that. My first session, by the way, automatic writing, Abraham Lincoln. 6,000 words taken down in two days. Not a mistake. Not a hesitation. Not one word out of place. I just took dictation. Yeah.
0: Explain automatic writing for those who haven't heard of it.
1: You don't have to go into any kind of crazy trance. You don't have to do all these complicated rituals to put yourself in some kind of a state in order to connect the spirit. I didn't. I just sat down and I just did a couple of breaths to be open and to be peaceful and to just land in the chair and to empty my mind. And then I would listen. The key to automatic writing is listening. Because you get a phrase. And the phrase keeps repeating itself and repeating itself. And I remember Abraham Lincoln's phrase. Now, this is from 2010. My error was not in underestimating the value of my words at Gettysburg. My error was not in underestimating the value of my words at Gettysburg. So I heard Gettysburg and I thought of Lincoln right away. And he said that phrase about maybe six times. And then I sat down and I wrote the phrase. And often when you receive automatic writing, that is how you know it's not you. You get the same phrase over and over. I'll give you another example. I had a young man who visited me. Now, I didn't really know what was going on at this point, but because it was quite a few years before Chloe passed, but he He had passed two weeks prior. And I hear in my head, tell them I'm fat and happy. Tell them I'm fat and happy. Tell them I'm fat and happy. I was brushing my teeth. So I put my toothbrush down. I'm like, who is this? And he tells me his name. And I know his mother. I said, oh boy, what do I do now? He says, Andrea, please, would you take dictation? I said, sure. How do you say no? And he he gave me a letter. It was like five pages long. And then he said, would you give this to my mother? I'm like, oh, what do I do? Call her up and say, by the way. And that's what I did.
0: Yeah, she'll think I'm crazy.
1: She'll think I'm crazy. Her husband, yeah, he thought I was crazy. But she didn't think I was crazy. But a cool thing happened with that encounter was that he showed me a video of him mowing the word fat into the grass, like, you know, do the F, stop the motor, go over, do the A. He actually showed me him doing himself doing that. So when I explained that to his mom, didn't mean anything to her. But I just give what I get. Five years after he has passed, he's like, could you please call my brother? He's really, he needs to hear what you have to say. He's having a hard time. So I call his brother. I get his number. I call his brother. And I tell his brother about the vision, and his brother drops the phone. He said, Andrea, the only person that was there that day was my brother and me. They were the only two. And that's why the vision didn't mean anything to the mother, but it meant something to his brother. So when things like this keep happening, and all this sort of developed after the new death experience, when Chloe says to me, Mom, you're so easy to find, it's a joke, I didn't doubt. I didn't doubt that it was her. That's the key. I'm always told the key to hearing spirit is not to doubt and be a good listener. Be a really good listener.
0: So what else did she have to say to you? A lot. I know it's a lot. Give us an idea.
1: I almost didn't write the book because I thought I was teaching like entrepreneurship. Like I didn't need to put this out there about me. So I'm like, Chloe, why can't we just have this conversation? You and I, let's just keep talking. She's like, no way, mom. I didn't do all this for you to cop out on me now. And so it was really cool. I was in this little room and she would wake me up at about 4 a.m. She would dig her shoulder into my elbow, which was extremely annoying and very painful. And she used to do it when she was here. She used to do that. And she woke me up and say, okay, open your computer. And you know what was cool, Eric? I was typing her words. My eyes closed, and I never made a spelling mistake. But when I typed my words, forget it. I made all kinds of mistakes. And she said, Mom, you're not allowed to edit my words. I'm like, ha, if I can't edit your words, girl, they better be perfect. Wow. And so we wrote a book, and this is the book. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff in it. This is a book, Conversations with Chloe, And I had it translated into French because we live in a French province. So I had it translated into French. And it's an amazing book. It's not just like personal stuff between Chloe and I. Because at one point I said to her, I said, Chloe, I want to help other parents do this. I want to help other people have conversations across the veil. Like that's the coolest thing ever. It's the most unbelievable divine experience you can have. It's one thing to get Abraham Lincoln's 6,000 words, but to have a conversation with your own child across the veil, oh my God, it's nothing beats that. So I wanted to help other parents. So she said, okay, mom, here we go. We'll call it the 12 steps to bridging. It took me five days to take this down. And I never ate so much junk food in my life. And I don't eat junk food. (laughs) It's very taxing on the system. To have spirits so close so much. And so we did. We created something called the 12 Steps to Bridging. And it's like, it's like a could guide a little bit for people.
0: So it's an idea of how if somebody wants to communicate with someone that they love that's passed, this can help them do that. That's right. That's okay. right. Yeah. Do you consider yourself to be a medium? You've never used the term with me.
1: No, I haven't. And in fact, I went twice to a place called the Arthur Findlay College in England, which is where they train incredible mediums. And I did a lot of mediumship and my mediumship skills went through the roof. But when I came home, I wasn't a large medium anymore. I was a small medium. And I said, no, I don't want to do this unless I can really do it really well with great precision and great evidence for people. And Chloe's the one who pushed me and said, Mom, what people really need in order to communicate directly with spirit is to raise their vibration. That's what they need to do. So I had been meditating since after my NDE. I had been meditating with a lady and we still meditate together. Imagine 30 years later, we're still meditate together. And she introduced me to sound. Can I play something for you? Yeah, go ahead. Quartz crystal. So I learned. I learned that we are vibrational beings. Who knew? Why did we learn this as kids? And I learned that we can raise our vibration. And it's as simple as breathing in in breathing out these high vibrations. And that's what I do now here in this little house. I have sound healings and meditations and and help people to raise their vibrations. It's the coolest thing. It's so much fun. And they have all kinds of after-death communications. All kinds.
0: I know very, very little about quantum physics, but a lot of people that I talk to about their NDEs talk about quantum physics and what they learned. How does the vibration of those, what does that have to do with quantum physics? Do you have any idea? No. Okay. Not an area you've studied yet.
1: Not an area I studied. And even when it comes to sound, I mean, this is, of course, you know, quantum physics is about life in its smallest form, right? Smaller than in atoms, like your DNA at the center of every cell. So maybe it's quantum in that, for instance, I work a lot with cancer patients because I've been one too. And also I did this from Ms. Chloe. Because this is one of the things you do when your child passes is you, once the grief is subsided, you want to honor them. You create a mission in your life to honor them. And so every day, whatever it is you're doing, you honor that child. So I work with cancer patients and we do DNA meditations. That would be life at a quantum level, wouldn't it? To actually visualize the center of every cell in your body, which is where your DNA resides, and then to speak to that DNA and to fill that DNA with light and oxygen and to raise the vibration of that DNA. One time I had a DNA researcher in the room. I had a big room full of people, and at the very end she raises her hand. She says, I'm a DNA researcher, and I went, "Oops." And she said, what you did, she said, is very powerful. And I knew it was because... I had been instructed to do it. I listen to spirit all the time, Eric. That's where I take my marching orders all the time.
0: That's awesome. I have another question about 1991. Yeah, sure. After you had your NDE, who did you tell about it, and what was their reaction?
1: Nobody. I did not talk about it for 25 years. And then Chloe passes away, and I go out to the western part of Canada. I'm in Vancouver, and I don't know, I'm fooling around my computer and I see IANS, International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'd never heard of it. I call them up and the, the gentleman in Vancouver says, you know, I've been away for three weeks. I just got back. Today's my first day. And I was like, just there for a few days. I said, I had a near-death experience and I have never said a word to anyone. I didn't want it to be ridiculed. I didn't want to have to try to justify it. It was my most precious thing. So the IANS person asked me if I would like to discuss my near death experience and he said to me, he said, Look, you can come in, you can talk as long as you want, and just you know, give all the details you want. This is really an opportunity for you to share it. And I said, Oh boy. So I met him at the Weston Bay Shore Hotel, we sat in the lobby. He pressed record and I spoke for three hours, three hours talking about not just the experience because the experience itself was quite simple, really, but it was all the aftermath, all the visits of spirit and my grandmother and this whole walk-in thing, having my grandmother with me. Even at one point, I had to figure out what was going on and I went into a bookstore and I said, Grandma, give me the right book because I got to know what's going on. And the book literally fell off the shelf. I didn't even buy the book. I just kind of fell off the shelf. I opened it up, and there it was, all about walk-ins. I put the book back. I said, okay, now I know what's going on. And then one day, I was going in for some surgery, and she said to me right before, she said, I'm leaving now. I'm like, oh. And she did. When, When I woke up from surgery, I was different. I was back to me.
0: So why didn't you talk to anybody for 25 years?
1: Ah, 25 years. Can you imagine? It was like too precious. It was like too special. There was other phenomenon happening to me too. So I didn't want anybody to think I was completely nuts. Like walking and feeling all the vibrations of things and stuff. Yeah. I didn't tell anyone. But when I told that gentleman from the Vancouver IONS office... That was the biggest gift. I walked out of there. I was like twenty pounds lighter, and I thought, "How amazing that I find him!" And in my hometown, there is no chapter of IAN. So, how would I have found him if I hadn't been there? Isn't that something?
0: It can be very therapeutic, can't it, to talk about it?
1: Absolutely. Today it's different. Today people talk about it. Like I've been to different conferences, and it's really beautiful. And IAN's conference is a real love in.
0: It's great that people can feel safe talking about it now because you're not alone in keeping it in for a long, long time. People have a lot of fears of, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy or whatever, or for you, it was just too special. You know, people may not get it.
1: But it was both of those, actually. It was, they're going to think I'm crazy and I don't want to have to justify this because it is too special. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So do you have any recommendations for our listeners out there that may be in the same boat? Tell them to jump on the show with me. How about that?
1: There you go. And I welcome them. Everybody is welcome to join. I do a sound session online on Wednesdays. It's just amazing. You could be on the moon, and these vibrations can have a really deep effect on you. And one of the things that I have heard more than once from Chloe is that I make it easy. I know it's because I don't doubt. So just allow yourself a moment every day, just even a small moment to sit and relax and listen. Don't even call it meditation. Just breathe and listen for a few minutes and just see what comes. Because I can tell you, our loved ones on the other side are so close and they so want us to acknowledge them. And they go crazy sending all kinds of signs. Oh my God, have I had crazy signs from Chloe? Can I tell you one last sign that I got?
0: Yeah, please.
1: This was cool because this was really visible to a lot of people. So I was at a conference in Phoenix for helping parents heal. And I was doing a sound lounge, which was a room that had a PowerPoint behind me on a huge screen, 10 by 10 of all of our children in spirit, over 900 pictures. So it was really touching People were always coming in the room. They would look at the PowerPoint. They would listen to the sound. And it was running on my computer. And the second morning, the whole thing jams. The computer doesn't work. The thing doesn't go. The music doesn't go. I'm kind of freaking out, wanting this thing to work. And I look up at the screen, and guess whose picture is up there? Out of over 900 kids, Miss Chloe. And when I asked her, I said, Chloe? How did you do that? She didn't answer me that. She said, Mom, you make it so easy. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you don't doubt. So that's what I would say. Just leave your doubt on the side and just watch the magic happening around you. It's really precious. Yeah, life is so much more than what we see with the human eye.
0: I think that's a perfect wrap-up. Andrea, thank you so much for being with me this morning.
1: Thank you, Eric. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for your interest. Nice to meet you.
0: Thanks again for listening and sharing this podcast. If you've had a round trip death experience, we would love to hear from you. Send an email to eric at roundtriptest.com. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.